There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy Podcast with me, Alison Perry. Back in 2013, my guest on this episode, Dr. Amit Patel, woke up one day and found that due to a rare eye condition, he'd lost his sight. Despite him thinking that his life as he knew it was over, he's gone on to achieve an incredible number of things since. With the help and support of his wife Seema and his guide dog Kika, Amit has carved out a whole new life as a disability rights campaigner, motivational speaker and independent diversity, inclusion and accessibility consultant. He's also written a book, Kika and Me, about how his guide dog not only gave him a renewed lease of life, but a new best friend. On top of all of that, in the past few years, Amit has become a dad to two children And not only does he talk to me about coming to terms with sight loss and rebuilding his life, but also about how becoming a father has changed him. Amit tells me about how fatherhood has pushed him to do incredible things, things that many dads with perfect sight might not even be comfortable doing. It was a real experience to talk to Amit and hear how he dealt with hitting rock bottom and bouncing back to what he now says is a life in which he's happier than he's ever been. So I'm here virtually with Dr. Amit Patel. Welcome, Amit. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing, first of all? How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm. It's, it's a good day. The sun, sun is shining. I'm... I'm I'm in a room with a lot of windows and they're closed just so we don't get the oh, extra noise. I know, and I, I'm sorry. I think, that's all right. It's just every other neighbour is having work done to their house. I think all the builders are out at the moment. Um, so uh, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the peace and quiet. It's the peace and quiet, but I've been there where quite a few times where I've got a work call or I'm trying to record something and it's really a really hot day and I'm probably upstairs in our like our loft bedroom where it's really hot and I've got to close all the windows because I can hear the neighbours outside and cars coming past and it's sitting there kind of getting really hot and sweating. <laughs> it's not fun, so I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's great to have you on the podcast um, do you want to start off by telling me uh, what happened to you? Was it in 2013 when you lost your sight? It was. It seems like a very, very long time ago. But um... I mean, that's seven years. But you, you had, am I right in thinking that you had completely normal eyesight up until that point? 
Yeah, so I have a, con- I have a condition called keratoconus. Um, it's a condition that changes the shape of your cornea. So it's a condition that's norm- not normally kind of, it's not, it's not, it doesn't result in sight loss. Um, it results in a little bit of maybe, you know, you might need surgery or you might need a corneal transplant to, to rectify it, or you might need glass lenses to kind of push your corneas back into shape. But it, it, it doesn't result in, in severe sight loss. Um, so I'm one of those v- rare people that after every corneal transplant, after about six to nine months, my body would just reject her. So it would be a transplant probably about one a year for a good five years, six years. And how um, old were you when that was happening? 20. So I was actually diagnosed very late on. It was um, final year of med school um, when, when I was diagnosed in my 20s. And it was, it was a race against time to find a consultant, to find me solid glass lenses to put into my eyes just to push my corner so I can get through my exams. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I'm very lucky. I had, I found an amazing guy who basically said, I will take all these sample lenses to my house and you just come over on a Sunday and we can see what fits. And that's how it, how it was for, for quite a while. And did you, I mean, being in the final year of med school, did you have any kind of extra knowledge or extra contacts that helped you in that search or was it, were you just kind of doing it the same way that everybody else would? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, because uh, I was I was at Cambridge, so I didn't really know that many consultants back up there. Um, but I knew quite a few back in Guildford, where where I grew up. So it was a it was very much get in touch with them, and if they could help, that'd be great. And it and they did. You know, the the, the Royal Surrey and Guildford were absolutely amazing, and obviously they knew I had to get through my final exams. Um, so it was let's just see what we can do, and they they did it. So then for quite a few years your eyesight was a lot better was it it was it was it was it was, um, it was fantastic while I was wearing the lenses for a while and then it got to a point where my corneas were actually popping the lenses out of my eyes um, so that meant having a corneal transplant and after about six to seven months I started getting redness in the eye um, and it started rejecting oh my goodness and all this time you were working as a doctor yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So every every nine months, every ten months, I'll take a break, have a corneal transplant on one eye, um, get back to normal. It'll take about ten weeks or so, and then get back to work again. That sounds so stressful. I mean, <gasps> your job must have been stressful, full stop. But to be doing all of this in amongst it must have been really bad. Um, I kind of, I, th- I think having a job I loved meant that I had something to focus on. Um, so if it took a little bit longer to to fix for me that was absolutely fine I had no issues with that at all but it meant going back to work refreshed and kind of being ready to work again um and also seeing the other side not just being a doctor but actually seeing it as a patient side of things you know how how did I feel when I was sat in that bed with with someone drawing a big x next to my eye so they made sure they transplanted the right eye as opposed to the wrong eye you know it's 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 simple thing. it's the way people talk to you the way doctors talk to you so if anything I think it made me a better doctor because I, I, I kind of went back and thought, well, I've been there, you know, I've, I've been in this situation. I know how it feels. Um, my bedside manner, were, I think, got a lot better. And I think I spent a lot more time with patients um, than, than your average doctor. Because you kind of, if, you, if you're there and you've, you've felt it, you've experienced it, you kind of want to put someone at ease if they're, if they're going through it as well. Yeah, of course, of course. So then in 2013, um, what changed? So it was, I had... Um, a build-up of pressure in the back of my eye. So it is a pinched nerve. 
Um, and it was it was a long couple of weeks at work. I I got home and it was very late on. It was it was just gone just gone midnight, I think. Um, and see my wife had. I think she reheated the meal about four times because I kept telling her, yeah, I'll be back at this time. I'll be back at this time. And it just kind of pushed it back. So by the time I got back from London to Guildford, it was gone midnight and she she stayed up. We had dinner together. I had a bit of a conversation. I had a bit of a chat. And I think she went to sleep and I watched a bit of TV just to relax, went to bed. And for me, that was it was normal. I was about to, you know, I was going to get up at six o'clock to go back to work again. And overnight, the pinched nerve had actually burst in the back of my eyes. But it was very much like a, a little explosion um, in both eyes. Um, so when I woke up, I didn't actually feel this when when it actually happened. So it, did, it didn't it didn't wake you up. No, it didn't wake me up at all. No no sensation whatsoever. I woke up and it was only when Seema saw the blood on the pillow, oh my goodness. Um, because my eyes had been bleeding, um, oh. and that was that was the start of our of our nightmare, I guess that day. And was it kind of like a gradual loss of sight or was it quite from that moment on it's it's been bad it was it was pretty bad um normally I'm kind of used to waking up and kind of you know as you you wake up you kind of rub your eyes to kind of get get your focus again uh for me it was looking through a very dirty glass um a, a very dirty window I guess um couldn't focus on anything everything I, I could just make out shapes couldn't really focus on anything um, but there was a there was a fair bit of blood around my face. Um, I think that's what freaked Seema out. Obviously, she yeah. she'd never seen anything like that. Um, and there was there was really no no shape to my eyes either. It, they'd kind of become cat's eyes. Um, they they'd slightly changed. Um, so yeah, it was it was a quick rush to rush to the hospital uh, where they bandaged them up and said, well, we can't really do anything just yet. We're going to have to let the inflammation come down. And we'll assess it in a day. And then at that point, did they know immediately what had happened, or did it take a while for the diagnosis? I think they knew what happened. I think in, I think I knew what happened as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was there was really only one explanation uh, why it happened and how it happened so quickly. Nobody really knows because um, even 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 at work, I would have checkups every couple of months just to make sure everything was okay. Obviously, knowing knowing my condition. Um, but yeah, no, there was no telltale signs. There was nothing to say that this was going to happen. Um, and it wasn't really on the back of my mind either. It got to a stage at that point where I think I was through the the worst of it. Um, there was no signs of rejection. There was nothing for a good couple of years. So I wasn't really thinking about it. So when it did happen, it, it came out of the blue. There was no backup plan. There was no talk or no conversation beforehand what do we do if if this ever happens yeah and did you know at that point this is it for my sight there's no there's no kind of rescuing it yeah yeah I think this is the bad thing about being a doctor um yeah. I kind of knew too way too much information you know too much. but this is the thing but then you kind of think well if it happened so quickly if I lost my sight so quickly and there's no explanation why it happened maybe I'll get it back it's, but then you've got that other voice in your head saying, well, no, I mean, you know better than this. But yeah. you don't want to listen to that voice. You kind of want to hold on to something. Um, because you I need don't... some hope, though, don't you? You do. You it's need... reality is, 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 a, is a bitter pill to, to swallow at that time. It was, it was difficult enough. And it was very much, well, my life is completely over now. You know, maybe I might get a little bit of vision back, which was the hope. Um, not complete blindness, but that it wasn't to be. 
is that how you felt then? Well, this is it. That's, you know, my, my life's pretty much done now. I guess because your job was such a massive part of, of, of your life, wasn't it? I think, I don't think it was so much the job. I think, I think it was the fact that I just got married. I felt, you know, me and Seema, only months before we're talking about relocating from Guildford to kind of get to a place where it'll be our forever home. We're talking about families, talking about kids. You know, I was going to change my career from a trauma doctor to becoming GP just so I could do the nine to fives. I could kind of be at home a bit more. Um, so we, this was the conversations we were having months prior to me losing my sight. So the one thing I thought about more than anything else was, was Seema, my wife. How is she going to cope with it? How, you know, is she going to, is she actually going to cope with it? How is it going to affect her? You know, it's, it's a lot compared, you know, considering that we've only just got married and this is like a honeymoon period for us. We're kind of, we're, we're setting, you know, we're, we're actually deciding what we want to do in life and where we want to go and how much we want to travel and talking about families. And now all of that has just come crashing down. What do I say? And how did she cope with it? I mean, she's still with you now, so she's stuck with you, <laughs> clearly. But it must you're right, it must have been really hard for her as well. Absolutely. So she hasn't been there through any of the corneal transplants. She's heard about them through family and friends and she knew what the you know, what I went through, but she wouldn't she was never there for any of the transplants. She she'd never seen any of those. Um so I think for her, I I I didn't think that she'd be able to cope, honestly. I thought it would just be way too much. Um, but even I said to her that I've lost who I am. And she would always say to me, but I haven't given up hope on you. You know, I didn't marry a doctor. I married you. I married who you are. You know, forget about work. Forget about anything else. Just find yourself again. And she's always said that. And she always does. Even, even when I have a bad day, she says, you know, just remember how far we've come. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, you, you can even, even now I'm very confident, you know, I've, I've found who I am again. I've, I campaign for disabled rights because we've been there. We've done that. We've, we know how hard things are. But I still have lots of bad days. And that's when I don't really need to say a word. I, I kind of come home and without without saying a thing, see will say, sit down, I'll make you a cup of tea. Let's talk about it. And it's it's just she knows me. That's what you um, need on those days, isn't it? And, and this is it. Sometimes you just need that. And I'm, I'm very, very lucky for, for meeting Seema, you know, and, and for having what I have with Seema. Um, but there's, yeah, but there's no way I, I don't think I would have, would have been able to cope if I was on my own. It was just too much. It was, I knew too much information, things I didn't really want to know. I kind of wanted the doctors just to say, well, maybe we'll give it a month and it'll get better. But they they know who I am. They know what I did. You know, it, so it's very much straight up talk. Well, I mean, we're not going to get your eyes, you know, back to, back into shape. We're going to need surgery here, or we're going to have to do this, or we're going to have to give you all this drugs just to just to keep the pain away. Um, do you think they were almost a bit too straight with you because you were a doctor? Do you think it was almost like professional chat rather than doctor patient? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of both. I think I think I I kind of knew some of them already, so they knew. I, I wouldn't want to have it sugar-coated. I'd rather have the information now. But at that time, I wasn't who I was. I kind of, at that time, just wanted someone to say, well, maybe you'll get your side back. Just give me some reassurance. Give me something to hold on to. Just, like, wrap you up and see it's going to be okay. That's it. That's exactly it. Um, but then, you know, we we are where we are now. We're, you know, we've, I, think, I think I kind of needed that time to to get used to the fact that I can't see. 
Um, and it's, you know, for some people, they, they can turn it around really quickly. I can think about, you know, but for me, it took me three months just to get to that stage where I could ad- admit to myself that I am I am blind and this is what my life is going to be like. How do I move on? To me, that doesn't sound like a long time, though, like three months to, to wrap your head around such a huge, enormous thing doesn't feel like a long time. Three months to me felt like three years um, because it was very much the lights went out and that was it. I didn't know the difference between light and day. Um, a day felt like a week. Um, so and also with with so much meds as well, you don't know where you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking about. Half, half the time I'd kind of sit there in a daze. Um, so three months to me was a very, very long time. And for, for me as well, I, I was a very active person. I barely stayed at home. To, um, so for me not to leave the house for three months and and to actually just be just have a conversation with myself was difficult enough because I have to admit that I'm in a situation now where my life is completely different to how I envisioned it would be. Um, it's you know it's how are we going to move on? How are we going to do this? You know we went from a two income household to one income overnight. Uh, now Seema's got a mortgage that she has to look after. Um, we were thinking about family, we were thinking about travel, all of that's gone. What do we talk about? And I I didn't quite know what to say. So for, for a long time, I didn't say anything. I didn't, I don't think I t- spoke to Seema for six weeks because I just did not know what to say. And it, and it wasn't because it was, it was painful or anything. I f- honestly didn't know how to make, make her feel better. It sounds like it had a huge impact on your mental health. Oh, it really did. It 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 did. It was um it's hard. It it was it was really extremely hard at that time. It was not there wasn't anybody I could talk to about it. Nobody had gone through sight loss that I'd known. Um I wasn't referred to anybody. There was there was no help. Even even my local authorities had a waiting list for, for someone to come and actually talk to me. So for for quite a while I was on my own and Seema obviously had work. So she was back and forth um so for long periods of time I was sat at home on my own not 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 knowing what to do or what to say or what to, what to think that sounds awful but it's uh it, I think it got to a point um at the end of the year uh just at the beginning of the, next, the year it, when I when I kind of went into hospital and I said I said I need to speak to someone otherwise I'm not going to be here tomorrow because it, it really felt that way to me and at what point, I mean, obviously, you know, it's clear that Seema was just an incredible support and help through all of this. Um, at what point did Kika enter your life? <laughs> the, the, the other leading lady the, in the story. Would you believe that, so the, when I was actually, when I lost my sight, that was when Kika was born. So wow. Kika was going, she, she was going through her guide dog training the same time I was going through kind of my sight loss journey from the beginning. That's um, incredible, isn't it? It's like it was meant to be. It was meant. It, it was meant. And Kika is, and it's it's funny how Corin. I'm, I'm I've never been one to really believe in coincidences. I, you know, you kind of make things happen because you either work at it or sometimes you, you you know you get a chance. But for 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 me to meet Kika, Kika being born the same month I lost my sight, and Kika is the only Kika in guide dogs, and it happens to be my mother in law's maiden name. Wow. As well. So it's it's like it was it was meant to be right from the beginning. Yeah. But honestly, guide dogs wasn't something that ever crossed my mind at all when I lost my sights. Um, first of all was 
getting back on my feet again. And that meant the only way we could do that is and feel comfortable about doing that is actually moving from Guildford and Surrey somewhere I'd, I'd grown up and I knew to, to central London, basically to London, just so Seema didn't have that long commute to work every day and leave me because she hated that three, four hour commute, um, especially if there was a, a leaf on the train or on the, on the, on the line, which meant, which meant that she's delayed another half an hour. So it, you know, we, we made the decision that we will, we'll sell up in Guildford and move into London. That way Seema could be there, uh, which meant then getting white cane training. Um, and, soon as I started my white cane training, um, the ladies who were doing my training were absolutely fantastic. They also said, oh, well, Amit, we, we can actually get you some braille training as well. So I thought, perfect, you know, let, let's, let's get on with this. And it was only, only while we were doing our, our white cane training did someone actually mention, would you think about a guide dog? And I said, no. I said, I could barely look after myself. Uh, there's, you know, I one, I don't know the responsibilities of a guide dog. I, and I'm not that active to actually have a guide dog, you know, to have a guide dog, you need to be able to go out and actually exercise the dogs and actually have a purpose. Yeah. I don't have any of that at the moment. So was it the the kind of fear of having an, a creature to look after on top of looking after yourself that was putting you off? Yeah, yeah, it was it was the responsibility. Um, you know, it was it was being it. It felt very much like I was if I had a guide dog, I would have to go out and I wasn't comfortable just yet. Right. Um, yeah. I've had, you know, I've had some good experiences with my white cane and some bad experiences with my white cane. But um, I just at that time, I wasn't ready. So we, we did another year of me using a white cane. And then, then I went to meet up uh, with my instructors again and the conversation came up again. And I thought, well, do you know what? I've actually been out and about and I'm a little bit more independent. Um, I've, I've managed to use the, the, the public transport system in London. Um, maybe a guide dog is is worth looking into. And so me and Seamus, we, we, we started kind of researching the organisation because we didn't really know a lot. And we, we found out that every dog is is matched to, to the person individually, depending on what their needs are. And it depends on if that dog is in the system at the time. So it could take three, four, five years sometimes to be matched to the right dog so we thought well if we go through the process we've got that time to actually get used to the fact that there will be a guide dog coming to us eventually um so when we did when we did the assessment which took about three months they you have guide dogs who come to the house they make sure that the home environment is suitable for a guide dog make sure that i'm capable of actually being independent and going out on my own but at the end of it we were told that a guide dog will be perfect for us it'll be perfect for me um but there will be up to about a three-year waiting list um because there's no no dogs in the system at that time that will match me and then they'll just have to kind of hope that something comes through the system um and we were we were we kind of thought right so we we were living in canary wolf at the time so we thought that well you know we've just bought this flat and i kind of know my area i can get around and about but when a dog arrives it's not going to enjoy the concrete jungle that is canary wolf so we decided that we should put the flat on the market buy a house with a garden that way i can then get used to my new environment before a dog arrives and then we can start our training together um, so we put a flat on the market, thinking we've got, we got three years or so. You've got ages. We've got ages, absolutely. <laughs> so we, we get a call a couple of, a week later to say from the estate agent, we've sold your flat. We thought, fantastic. Two days later, we get a call from Guide Dog saying, we think we found you a match. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that, that kind of came out the blue. Eventually, they brought the dog, a week later, they brought the dog to the house. Um, really scary moments, I think, because... 
one, I didn't sleep all week thinking that we're going to love this dog, but this dog may not like us. Mm. Um, because we were told that Kika was a bit hard work. She either liked you or she didn't. She was extremely difficult in training. Um, but yet she... I like the sound of Kika. Oh, she is. She is so headstrong, this girl. Um, she would do what she wants to do when she wants to do it. It is what, And even the trainers were telling us that it took them a long time to bond with Kika, even throughout training. Normally guide dogs in puppies and training will kind of click straight away. In their tra- but Kika, for, for whatever reason, Kika just did not click. Um, but they, they saw it through. They, they, they kind of got Kika to the end and they thought, well, do you know what? Kika is an amazing guide dog, she, but she might just be matched. It might just take a while for her to get matched to someone. So they thought, well, let's give Amit a go. Um, so Kika came to the flats. We went for a quick walk along the dock for the first time in harness. Um, and we went back and they said, look, it seems to work. Kika's not making for the door, which means she's comfortable. We'll start your training together in a week's time in a hotel. That way it's a new environment for me, a new environment for Kika, and we can get to know each other. And that was that was the beginning. Ever since wow. then, she's, she's by my side. And am I right in saying that she has just been such a game changer for you that it's completely revolutionised your experience of... of uh, of being blind absolutely do you know what i would not uh, you throughout throughout the the kind of research we we're doing for guide dogs I'd, I'd speak to a few guide dog owners and i say oh yeah the dog will change your life but i thought to myself honestly would you know can just a dog keep you safe when you're out and about you know what about if a squirrel runs past is it going to chase after the squirrel is it you know is it going to wake up one morning and decide it doesn't want to take you to work or it doesn't want to take you here um how does it work but kika is the most gentle labrador um but then she's very you put the harness on her and she is in work mode um she likes new challenges she likes to be working at busy times in busy stations i was very lucky that kika is uh one of five percent of guide dogs that escalator trained uh, because not all all guide dogs are escalator trained and only those are that those five percent are in london because of our london transport system um so kika will take me up to the escalator stop Oh, she'll wait for me to give her the command forwards and she'll jump on, stand still and then jump off the other end, um, which meant that we don't have to then take step free access or take lifts anywhere. We can actually just go where everybody else goes. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And you went you went viral, didn't you? A video of you and Kika on a London underground escalator. Yeah, so we... For, for The one thing I never really thought about is how society would treat me 
as I'm walking out and about with my white cane. I've had, you know, even with even before Kika came along, I've had someone snatch my cane out of my hand, throw it away. I've had people shout at me. I've had kids turn me in a skirt circle on a, on a platform and say, "Now find your way." Um, so you you kind of you never that that would that never crossed my mind that people would actually be that way, um, or see or try and barge you out the way when you're trying to get on a tube or a train or anything at all. Um, so when Kika came along, I thought all that had finished. I thought, well, Kika, you know, it's obvious Kika's, you know, she's a she's a yellow Labrador with a with day glows all over her. It's quite obvious she's a guide dog. Yeah. You know, you, you might miss the cane slightly in the crowd, but you can't miss Kika. Um, yeah, people would barge us out the way, push us, try and walk between us, tell us that um, we shouldn't be on the train. One one day, someone someone actually stopped me and said, did, did you realise that someone had just hit your dog to literally push her out the way? So I, I came home and it kind of explained why Kika's behaviour was, was the way it was, um, because it happened a few times. So I said to, I said to Seema, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great if we can have Kika's eye view? So we put a camera on her and actually the, the, the day we put the camera on her, we actually caught people swinging umbrellas and bags towards her or pointing, you know, kind of making a beeline towards her and to see if she would walk closer to the edge of the platform or, and then play chicken with her no. on, on, on a platform. Oh my goodness! What is wrong with people? This was kind of this kind of made me upset. Um, so we would obviously tweet about it, but we'll tweet about it in a way where you know I, I was I would be really angry, but I didn't want to come across as the angry disabled person. It was very much you know this is a situation. How can we make this better? Or if you see this happening, how can you help? Um, and then one day, um, we we actually we're going to work, and there's one station Kika hates, which is Bank Station. She absolutely hates going through Bankstead for, because it's the one station that she gets the most kind of abuse at, the one where she gets hit and, and people barge her out the way. Is that because everyone's busy city workers and they're all very important and they're I trying want to, to say get that, to their jobs? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of, it is that. I, th- <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, um, and it's such a busy station and you've got so many tunnels, so many interchanges. So people kind of walk out in front of you, not even realising, you know, it's not even their mistake, but they just don't see it because they're kind of in their zone. They're, they're making their way to work. They're in their commute zone. Um, so it's the one station that I would always give a miss but I was actually working in that area and I had to go through it. So as I as I was going through London Bridge Station, I actually asked a staff member, I said, look, do you mind giving me some assistance and getting me on a tube and making sure that there's a staff member on the other end just to kind of get me out? And he said, yeah, no problem at all. And I, the camera was actually on that particular day to record the services that TFL actually provide, which is the turn up and go service, um, which means that they will put you on a tube of radio ahead and there'll be someone to take you off the other end. So I wanted to kind of video that to say that if you are disabled, if you are unsure, if you do have a, you know, if you're maybe on crutches or you're, you're visually impaired, you know, the service is there for you and then use it. But that particular day, you know, the gentleman came up behind us and asked me to let go of the handrail, which Honestly, it's 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 scary enough just being on a on on an escalator when you're visually impaired because you you feel all the bumps as you go down. It's not as smooth as you think when you can't see. And obviously, Kika stands on my left hand side, and she's she's stuck to the floor. She will not move for anybody. Um, and we get we get people trying to climb over her. But this particular time, someone said to me, "If I can let go of the handrail, and they can walk past me," which obviously I said no to. And the 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 TFL guy, he was. He was sticking up for you, wasn't he? Oh, amazing. amazing. Do you know what? He was, he was fantastic. Um, it was obvious that I wasn't going to let go. And the, the thing is, is, 
London Underground, you have a tube every every thirty seconds, every forty seconds. You know, it's it's. I think a lot of people shout at us from the top of an escalator saying, oh, move on, move on. And then you get the ripple going up saying, oh, there's a guide dog owner and his guide dog. And then you get the sorry that comes all the way back down again to you, um, which is amazing <laughs> because people don't obviously see her if you're coming down an escalator. Um, but you, but then you do get, you get horrible people who, who, will, who will actually take time out of their own lives to run up to you and tell you that you've held them up for 10 seconds on an escalator. And you go and you think, wow... 10 seconds, you know, you can do a lot in 10 seconds. Do you know, it's, it's, it's that that used to make me really angry. I used to come home and it used to, it, I used to kind of put it all into a little box and then, then one day it will all just erupt and then I just need a little cry to get it out of my system and then kind of reset it as well. But people forget I can hear everything they say. You know, I could, I could be on a tube or a train and someone could be sat, sat right next to me talking about how I get on with life. You know, you know, how does he get changed in the morning? I wonder how he does this and does that. Um, and you think, I can't be talking about the blind guy sat just, just a couple of feet away. And then they mention Kiko and you think, yeah, they're talking about us. Do you know, I don't mind if someone has a conversation with me. Absolutely no problem at all. Um, it's just when they, they kind of have that, you know, I wonder. Or, or, or the whole, because I've got a disability, it means that... I'm living off the States, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, I pay for your trainers, you must live in a cushy house, you know, I pay for this and pay for that. Uh, because obviously disabled people can't have jobs, you know, they don't, they don't see. So it's, it's, yeah, you get, you get, you see the, the horrible side of things, but I think it's also because people know I can't see them so they can get away with it. I think that's a lot to do with it. Do you think it's almost like a different version of people saying horrible things online because they can't be seen that's is it, it. is it that's is exactly it an equivalent? It. yeah I, I think it's a whole it's exactly the same situation but this feels even worse because they're in your face and telling you yes. in person yeah. uh, and then you think well then, then then for a minute i kind of think well is this what everybody thinks of me you know do they just see the disability and not see who i am um so it's it does it, pl- it plays on your mind it, it plays with your confidence and for a while, you know, you kind of don't want to go back out again because that's how you think people see you as, as you know, as someone who, who doesn't look, who can't look after themselves, who just walks around with a guide dog um, and, and actually has it all easy. Did you get a positive response, though, when, when that video went viral? Did you have a lot of people reaching out in a positive way to you? I did. I did. I, you know what, the, the viral video, it took me... If I if I'd taken my first tweet and actually put it out there, it was quite a negative one because I was angry. The way I do it, I, I kind of if I if I'm if I am angry and I want to tweet about it, I'll I'll tweet I'll kind of write it out, I'll type it out, and then I'll delete it, uh, and then I'll kind of put you know put the proper head on and think right, how can we how can I use this negative experience to make things better? Um, it's one of those things though, isn't it? That you shouldn't really feel that you have to curb your anger. Like you're allowed to feel angry about that situation. But it makes me feel even worse though. Um, it's it's when when I put an angry tweet out, it attracts more anger towards it. Um, and I want to I want positivity out of it. You know, from some from a bad experience, I want someone to either learn from it or see how it could be better. Or you know alternatives or people being able to say well next if i see this happening or you know i'll, I'll get involved I'll, I'll help out because I, I think the one thing out of all our tweets the one the one message i get get kind of asked a lot about is how do i approach 
a visually impaired person? How do I approach a disabled person? I want, you know, I might see someone on a platform, but I don't want to go over and say, are you okay? Because I don't want to belittle them. I don't want to make them feel like they don't know what they're doing. Um, and for me, if someone, even if I'm stood on a platform that I use every single day, if someone comes over to me and says, are you okay? It makes me feel better. Because one, I, I feel they've seen me. I'm, I haven't just blended in, I've disappeared or I'm that disabled person. Someone's actually looked out and said, are you okay? You know, do you want, and sometimes I do need help. Sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm stood at the wrong platform or, or the trains have been cancelled and we have to go to platform three. I've never been to platform three. I don't know where it is, nor does Kika. So it's great when someone actually sees and says, well, let me take you over. I know what train you need, you know, or I can, mm-hmm. I can take you to a member of staff who can help. That to me is fantastic. Um, so the, the, the one positive out of social media is, is the fact that when I get messages saying, I mean, I've just helped the first VI person. I know how to, I knew how to approach them. I knew how to talk to them, you know, how, how they wanted help. I asked them and I said goodbye at the end of it. Cause you know, you don't want to walk away from a blind person cause they don't know you're gone. The amount of times I've been stood talking to a brick wall or, or talk, talking to myself. And now I'm that, that weirdo blind guy talking to himself all the time, but it's, it's small things like that. And, you know, it's, it's, that's, that to me is amazing. You know, it's, it's changing people's perspective. It's, it's maybe getting someone to look at someone else's situation. How would you cope if that was you or that was your family member? Would you want someone to go over and just reassure them and help them? So it's, it's basically that. And I think that comes down to the being a whole doctor, you know, it's, I've always wanted to help people. Um, I, I can't do it on the front line anymore, but there's other ways of doing it. Absolutely. Um, now let's talk about fatherhood. Um, you said in past interviews that you wanted to get to a point where you felt confident and that you felt that you could look after yourself before you felt that you could start a family with Seema. Yeah. We didn't have that. So since losing my sight... See, when I never had that conversation about family, it was never on the topic. We just never spoke about it because we both just felt very uncomfortable speaking about it. So it just never came up. And even when we got Kika, the conversation never came up. It just kind of happened. And I think as I, you know, I I, kind of put down to having, you know, rebuilding my confidence just before Kika kind of came along and then Kika kind of reinforcing that. Um, because when I was out and about without Kika, Seema would always worry. Seema would always have to call me and make sure where I am. Or I'd call Seema and say, I think I'm here, but I'm lost, you know, and Seema would have a look on a GP tracker app and say, well, you're about half a mile away from where you think you are. Um, so having Kika took a lot of pressure away from Seema. Seema knew that I'd get home every day. Um, and I think that just made us even stronger because Seema felt for a long time that she had to look after me. And I felt I couldn't go out on my own for a long time without Seema. So when when Kika came along, it took a lot of that pressure away. And then our, our relationship kind of went back to how it was pre-sight loss. We, we started laughing. We, we actually enjoyed life a lot more. We had Kika as a distraction. Um, and we got Kika in September um, 2015. And... December 2015 is when we found out we were expecting. Um, so I, Kika was kind of the, the practice of having a child. Um, at, you know, you wake up in the morning, first thing you think about is Kika. Last thing you think about is Kika before you go to Kika sleep. Kika really was your first child. Kika is still, I, I still count Kika as a child. You know, I say I've got three kids. <laughs> Kika has, Kika's passport says Kika Patel on it. Um, you know, she's part of this family and she always will be. But the, the, when we did find out we were expecting at that time we were also moving 
So we were all packed up, ready to go, ready to build, go into a new house, buy it, buy a new house. Um, and we got Kika. So a lot of, lot of things happened like in a very short amount of time for us. Yeah. Um, but it meant that this is happening. This is real now, you know. And I, I, we, we always had the conversations before sight loss about being a, you know, me being a father and I wanted to be a hands-on dad. And I said to Seema, well, I don't want anything to change. I said we're gonna have you know we're gonna have to find out how we do things as a visually impaired parents, um, but it's um, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be tough. It's not, and we didn't really know any visually impaired parents to to kind of get advice from. So um, we thought we're gonna have to do our research. But whatever we do, I wanted to be a hands-on parent. Um, and Seema was like, perfect, works for me. So it's yeah. <laughs> so. What does that look like in you know in terms of you know? Um, you you being a dad, and I've I've seen videos of you when your son was younger, and he kind of toddles up to you on the sofa, and you, <laughs> yeah. you and you just like pick him up and put him on your knee, and it just he does looks like yeah he doesn't know any difference. Um, he it's it's funny it's the way kids adapt. So right, right at the beginning, Seema took a year off maternity leave, so it was fantastic. You know, it gave me that one year to build my confidence to be able to look after Abby on my own when, when she goes back to work. Um, but in between that, I was still working um, and I would take him to work. So I, I did a lot of work at um, Downing Street and Parliament. So Abby would be in a chest harness and we would toddle, toddle into 10 Downing Street and he'll be with me all day long in 10 Downing wow. Street. Um, That's incredible. So you had, did you have Kika? I had Kika as well, yeah. So Kika, And you had, you had your son in a... Chest harness, yep. So, oh my goodness! If I was going at peak time, he would be in a chest harness, um, and we would we would make our way to Westminster, take the little walk to Ten Downing Street, um, and he there was a little playpen he could be in. Um, there would someone that's like proper dad goals. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, absolutely. <laughs> but the lovely, lovely thing is, one day we were doing some some work at Ten Downing Street, and we came out, and there was a and we would I think we we're handing in a couple of petitions as well that day, and. There happened to be a photo in the mail, I think, the next day of Abby in the chest harness with his little teddy bear, Kika with a big grin out, grin on her face, and me standing outside of <laughs> 10 Downing Street. Amazing. Um, but it's, you know, that, that to me was normal because that's what I thought, you know, if I'm going to work and I can take him with me, he might as well come with me and give Seema half the day off. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he was with me all the time. Um, but then you get you get some people... Again, the whole negative side of things was even being on trains. I would I would walk on a train. And I would hope that someone would give me a priority seat to sit down because they can see a dog. They can see a chest harness. They can see a blind guy walking along. If anyone needs a seat at that in that situation, it's <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, but not surely. No, but I think I think in one in ten times we would we would get a seat. Um, wow. And you, you sometimes get people tell me to because Ab- Abby would want to maybe come out of the chest harness after a while, he'll start getting a bit tetchy, he starts crying, and you get people coming up to me and say, can't you keep your child quiet, you know? And it's like, well, give me your seat, so maybe if I can sit down, I can get him out. Um, but then I would take a buggy with me. But if you've ever seen a guide dog going to pull a, um, push a pull a buggy, we, I can't physically push it in front of me because I've got Kiko on my left-hand side, so I have to pull it behind me. I can't even picture how you would do that. Yeah, so we had to research buggies on this so if you try and push a conventional buggy backwards so it kind of pull it from behind you because mm. the wheels are now in the wrong place it doesn't want to steer 
So we had to find a buggy that the handlebars flipped over and then the back becomes the front and the front becomes the back. Ah, um, yes. And it obviously happens to be one of the most expensive buggies out there in the market. Um, so we got one of those and it meant taking Abby in a buggy and pulling him behind me basically and Kika had to learn how to how to guide us and instead of taking the the step down off the curbs you'd have to take the the drop curbs but it was it was it wasn't impossible it was hard work you kind of and then obviously nappy changing um you know in, in places you're unfamiliar with um but I managed it and you know I felt confident doing it and I thought you know I don't care who who sees me and who watches me and how long it takes me to do something I'm doing it um so yeah that's I, incredible and that that really is a confidence thing isn't it that's not even really an ability thing that's you just thinking I'm gonna get it done I don't care who reacts or who sees or who comments <laughs> no not that at is all. total confidence which is brilliant I I right at the beginning when I got Kika I've always said to Seema I kind of want to blend in you know I don't want to walk into a room and everybody stop and stare um because I've walked in but I'm a brown guy with a white dog I stick out like a sore thumb you 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 had a buggy and a chest harness and a crying baby into that. You know, you're not going to miss me. Um, so it's um, you either I have to be confident uh, and do it. Otherwise, you kind of it, it it doesn't work. So I I embraced it and I loved I loved every single minute of it. Even now, I I take Abby out. I've got I've got a one well, I've got fourteen month old daughter. So she's in a chest harness. Abby's holding my hand. I've got Kiko on my left hand side. Backpack with nappies and snacks in it. Off we go. Do you go out with, with both of them on your own with Kika? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh I've, I took, so last year I took Abby to New York with me on my own. Um, no. Only because people said I couldn't do it. Yeah, well, there'll be, some, <laughs> there'll be some people listening, you know, who are dads who don't even do that much themselves. There'll be some mums listening who are thinking, mm, my partner doesn't even go out with the kids and he's got his sight, you know. Oh, no, do you know what I loved? I, I, so I had, a, I, had a, I had a work trip and um, my cousin's wedding, actually, at the same time. And I said to Seema, I said, because Seema had a lot of work on at the time. And I said, well, it'd be nice if Abby came along, you know, get to meet, meet his family out in the States. And Seema's like, well, just take him then. I'm like, actually, that makes sense. So it was me, Kika, and Abby. And we did uh, New York, Washington, Philadelphia. Um, he helped me cross the roads, obviously, in, in, in New York, because it's completely different to how it is over here. Um, very comp- you know, And I thought to myself, well, this is going to build his confidence up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Abs- it's, I think it's, it was funny when we were checking in, because um, the, the lady at the at the uh, the passport counter she basically said so who's looking after you young man to my son and he said he said daddy <laughs> and she turned to me and said who's looking after you and I said Kika and, and she said to me who's looking after Kika the, dog, the dog's in charge yeah, and, I, and she said who's looking after Kika I said she can look after herself and she was expecting Seema to, to check in as well yeah and she's like well where's your passport she's like oh no I'm not traveling it's just the three of them um yeah so it's um, it's you know we we can prove that we can do it. It's it's not e- obviously it's not easy. You have to you have to have things in place. You have to make sure that you've got backups if anything happens. But I really enjoyed it. You must have felt so proud of yourself. Like when you landed back in the UK, you must have had a sense of achievement. It was it wasn't me. It was I think I was proud of my son at the time. Oh. I think I think he could have he could have been a terror. And, How old was he at uh, the time of the trip? Was, uh, so it was last year. So he was three, right, just just yeah. turned three. 
Yep. Which can be a tricky age. Oh, we, we had the iPad, <laughs> we had everything. Um, but he he was fantastic. Even the airlines were amazing. Uh, we were who we were flying with they actually actually came over gave us gave me a bag of treats just to leave in the corner and say look if you, if you ever need anything you don't need to push the button there's a bag of food just here oh. uh, and they t- even took abby and kika into into the flight cockpits for a while just so i could have a rest for a couple of hours oh, uh, so mid-flight nice. and they took kika around for a walk every hour around the plane uh introduced her to all the all the passengers which meant that when we landed in new york it took us two hours to get out because obviously everybody wanted to say goodbye to her Uh, (laughs) it's funny though because like hearing stuff like that kind of balances out all of the experiences that you've just it does it does the negative thing for every one bad experience there's probably 50 good ones and that's why i can still go out and be independent and do what i do because you you come across a bad you know situation but then probably on the same day you probably come across a good one as well and that will yeah. definitely balance it out. But I think if you if you dwell on the negatives, it's it's hard to f- keep that confidence and that resilience to kind of leave your house every day, because I feel extremely comfortable. If you if you see me walk around my house, I know where everything is because everything has its place, um, and I'm very very confident. But the moment I step out of my front door, that's when it all changes. The confident kind of takes a bit of a knock because I'm now reliant on Kiki and reliant on other people around me um, to, to kind of keep me safe or just to look out for me. Um, and it's, and that, that, just height, that just gets heightened when, when I've got my children around with me. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's a whole different way of living because I think if, you, if, you, if you're always fearful, it's, it's hard to kind of move forward. Um, but... I don't now have to have that fake smile on my face. I genuinely have a smile on my face. I'm I'm happy with life. I've never been this happier, happy ever in my. I did. I, it, if you'd asked me back in 2013, you know, would you be smiling again? I would have said no. I was. I would have said I would have been angry with my life or just disappointed or or depressed or. But I am. I am genuinely happy for everything I have. Um, and I've met some amazing people along my site, Lost Journey, who have given me confidence, the inspiration, that the motivation, because they've been there, they've done that, they've given me their words of wisdom, which now I could pass on to someone else who may need it. Um, but then I have an amazing wife. I have, I have this one person in my life that knows me better than I know myself. And, and that's weird because we are completely different we're chalk and cheese. Chalk, and this is why it works, I think. We are so different. Um, but she, she knows me. She knows who I am, what I am, what I'm capable of doing. And if you say you can't do this to Amit, he's going to try and make it, you know, he's, he's, he's going to do it. He's going to show you that it's, it's possible. Um, so that, that drive for life has kind of come back. But then I also want to prove to my kids that... Having a disabled parent, having a blind parent doesn't have to stop us from being a family or doing things that everybody else does. My son still thinks it's normal for everybody to take their pet on the, on the plane with them because that's what Kika does. <laughs> Kika comes on holiday, she sits right next to us um, and he thinks that's normal. He thinks it's normal for her to come to a restaurant. He's like, why doesn't anybody else bring their dogs to these places? <laughs> now, why does Kika always, Kika's always on her own, you know, and it's, and it's things like that. It's, it's, I, want, I, I don't ever want him to grow up, him or, his, or, or my daughter to grow up thinking, well, we missed out on this because daddy can't see or daddy wasn't able to do this. Yeah. 
That's brilliant. Um, lastly, Amit, where can people find you online if they want to hear more from you? And I'm sure <laughs> they will. <laughs> um, you, can, you can find me on, uh, on Twitter. Um, so I am at blinddad underscore UK. But the Kika, Kika Guide Dog has her own Twitter following. Yes, she does. She, she's, yes. um, she's crazy when it comes to, to showing people what's possible, I guess, as a guide dog. And she, she can be found at, um, at Kika underscore guide dog on Twitter. And also the same handles on, on Instagram for both of us. Excellent. Um, Amit, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with me today. I feel truly honoured that you've, you've shared it with us. So thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.